podcast where we watch one actor's entire filmography or almost all of it and then tell you what's worth watching and what isn't. I am one of your hosts, Katie Wright. I'm your other host, Lenny. And this month we are doing Paul Newman. Uh, I nominated Paul Newman. Our, our subject is always decided via Twitter poll. I nominate two actors. Lenny nominates two actors. I nominated Paul Newman with an absence of malice toward Lenny <laughs> and yet it turned out to be the worst thing that I could have done to him or truly uh to myself uh yeah I was truly in a murderous rage for quite a bit of the viewing up to this podcast but you know uh I think that us uh taking a lot of time to get all our equipment and shit was for the best because I'm a lot less angry now that I've got some distance between uh uh, some some distance from the time when I was watching fucking Paul Newman movies every day. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this was truly an ordeal. Um, we'll get into it certainly, uh, but Paul Newman was in, a, was in a whole lot of movies, and a lot of them are from a bygone era where the aesthetics of filmmaking were not the same as the aesthetics that make films enjoyable today. Uh, and for that reason, we have not released an episode in two months because I broke the podcast with my choice of actor um okay well let's just dive into it um we're gonna start we're, we're gonna go kind of quickly through his earlier filmography because a lot of his early work kind of runs together in just a mess of um uninteresting black and white film nonsense so we're gonna d we're gonna dig in more in depth into his later work but uh we're going to start off with uh, somebody up there likes me. Also, uh, speaking of the fact that Paul Newman is in a lot of movies, uh, I would like to uh, apologize for the uh, uh, amount of movies we just straight up were not able to watch because they're not available in a digital format. Um, I feel like this is the first actor we've done where some of their more well-known stuff was just not available legally at all or maybe not illegally i did not check uh so sorry that it's uh it's less thorough but he was in so very many movies that i think uh we still cover as much stuff even though it's a smaller percentage all right so somebody up there likes me is the story of a boxer named rocky uh this was written with james dean in mind and uh is one of uh i think three roles according to wikipedia that paul newman only got because of james dean's untimely death <laughs> and uh like so many movies of this era it really thinks that the way to plot a movie is to just show a man's life from birth until death which i put forth is not actually the best way to structure a story and that's pretty much all i have to say about this movie which i give a not worth it uh yes I co-sign that. This is just kind of not a very interesting movie, but it is kind of uninteresting in a way where I could see a lot of like dude film guys being very into it. I don't know if I don't know if that's the case or not, but I mean, it's about a boxer named Rocky, so maybe it's just cuz I'm like I'm like, oh, this is basically like 
proto Rocky. Um, but yeah, I would also give it a not worth it. There's really like not anything from it that sticks out in my mind thinking back on it. I'm just like, yeah, Paul Newman was punching some stuff and then I think he got punched at some point. Not worth it. Okay. Okay, next up is the Helen Morgan story, which is another film about a person's life. Uh, I guess it doesn't go birth to death. It goes uh, young adulthood to triumphant comeback um and it's about helen morgan who is a real person um she's like a singer cabaret type and dancer uh and this is uh paul newman's first of many roles where he's a horribly abusive husband but perhaps one of his only roles where he's a horribly abusive husband who i don't think you're supposed to like so that's nice um it, this this one also just kind of didn't stick with me. Uh, uh, it's kind of it kind of feels like standard like <sighs> melodramatic showbiz story biopic, um, and so I definitely would give it a not worth it. Yeah, I completely agree. It was uh, very bland, uh, and for something that's called the Helen Morgan story, it felt like it was not as much about her as like the bland dudes who want to have sex with her. Uh, who are not very distinctive. I kind of got the feeling that one was supposed to be the good one and one was supposed to be the bad one, but who knows, because they're all 1960s men. Uh, not worth it. Uh, next up is Until They Sail, which is a movie about uh, women in New Zealand uh, who, during wartime, uh, don't have any husbands around. And you'd think a movie about a bunch of horny ladies would be a slam dunk, but somehow they managed to botch it and make it pretty boring. Not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, this movie is pretty boring. Um, I and looking at the the plot summary to refresh my memory, it like I realized it had all these like crazy plot turns. Like there's like a murder with a a like samurai sword. And, like I fully don't remember that at all. It really came across as a very bland movie. Uh, so not worth it. Uh, next up is The Long Hot Summer, which feels so much like a Tennessee Williams adaptation, but is actually a William Faulkner adaptation. Um, and yeah, it just kind of feels like the assignment was write a Tennessee Williams type movie, and then they did. Uh, it's the first movie that's got Joanne Woodward, who is Paul Newman's real life wife. And it also has, uh, 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 shit, shit, what's his name? What's his name? Orson Welles. <laughs> it also has Orson Welles looking not good. And those are the most interesting things about it. Not worth it. Yeah, it's an incredibly bland, bland movie. Uh, yeah, Paul Newman just kind of shows up on this farm. Some ladies are horny. Um, Orson Welles looks so bad, uh, even though he's like, 41 it looks like he is gonna he looks like he's going to die tomorrow in it but he is younger than paul rudd is now in that film he was 41 for real yeah i definitely remember you thinking he was elderly and i looked it up and i was like he is younger than present day paul rudd he looked like marlon brando in his last like five years of life and that was really the most noteworthy thing about it was how poorly orson welles aged um, uh, yeah, ne next up is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, a movie loved by many, 
disliked by me uh, for the following reasons. I think that uh, Tennessee Williams is not a great writer. Pretty much all of the dialogue is like, well, I drink because I resent you for not having my baby. Well, I blame you for the follies of my youth. And it's like, come on, come on, Tresn. Tennessee Williams and then also just as a film they like really did not do anything to make this adaptation cinematic uh the most they do is have a scene in the rain and that's their idea of making it uh a worthwhile film not worth it uh I agree that this is not a cinematic film and it does kind of feel like they just shot the play but um I I still enjoy this movie I think that the performances are really good um I love love Paul Newman in it. I love uh, Elizabeth Taylor in it. Uh, I feel like the guy who plays Big Daddy is not an, an actor whose name anybody knows, but he's also great. And there's a lot of like great character performances. The disgusting in-laws are like terrible. Uh, I mean, terrible in a great way. They're very fun to watch. Um, so I, even though I also am not like, not, not like in love with the Southern Gothic melodramatic Tennessee Williams vibe. Uh, I still think that this is a really enjoyable movie with really great performances, and I would definitely say that it is worth it. Oh. Uh, next up is a little film called Rally Round the Flag Boys. This is the first, like, hard comedy in Paul Newman's filmography that we watched, and it is off-the-wall bananas. It has his wife, Joanne Woodward, again, and they are married, and they have a very troubling dynamic between them. Um, there are many times in Paul Newman's filmography where we're going to see him, like, aggressively, like, grabbing and forcing women around, like, in a way that we're supposed to find charming and fun, but that is, like, deeply troubling, and it's especially troubling in this movie because it is so, like, slapstick and goofy. Um, but, yeah, oh, God, there's so, there's so much, there's so much weird shit in this movie. There's like uh, uh, there's people dressing up as Native Americans and holding a big pageant that we watch all of that goes on for a very long time. There's like NASA. There's like a chimp going to outer space at NASA. There's like there's like making fun of how the teenagers talk these days, but it's like you know it's like 1960s, so it's this like very weird dated slang that sounds like <sighs> it sounds like jokey Quentin Tarantino dialogue kind of. Um, it's insane and it's a terrible film. And I think that it fails at being fun in all the ways it tries to be fun. But I think that it fails so hard that it is, like, very fun to watch. And I would give it a worth it. <laughs> uh, what a twist. Uh, yeah, this seems like it was supposed to, This seems like it was maybe, like, the first ever sex comedy. And it really reminds me of the Birthday Boys sketch that's, like, a parody of sex comedies. But where everyone is just, like, taking walks and holding hands. Um, but it's not adorable. It manages to be very misogynistic while also not having any sex. Uh, there's, like, I think the two parts that stood out the most to me was when... Uh, they have this part where Paul Newman meets a sexy lady and maybe he's going to cheat on his wife. But then since they like refuse to actually have any sex in this, he ends up just like hanging from a chandelier. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, we all know what hanging from a chandelier represents. And there's another part where 
he has a daydream where uh, he's in Morocco for some reason. I don't know if that was like a popular sex fantasy at the time. But in Morocco, his wife is like, "Mm, why don't you come into this tent with me? And Paul Newman turns to the camera and winks to be like, I'm going to fuck my wife. And it's like, that's not cool. She's your wife. You fuck her all the time. Like, what? But now it's in Morocco, I guess. Uh, Anyway, I thought it was very embarrassing. And uh, considering how embarrassing it is, pretty boring. Not worth it. Uh, Next up is The Young Philadelphians, which opens on Adam West as just like the most comically obviously gay coded character I have ever seen in anything like to the point where it sort of feels like a like sketch about gay coded characters but it's definitely supposed to be like completely serious um it's Adam West on his wedding night and his wife is like why won't you be with me and he's like well you see I could never be with any woman and then the next scene is just like uh her finding out that he died in a car crash uh which look Tropes like that are awful. I should not be laughing. But it's just so insane how not subtle it is. Um, It's really weird. Uh, But most of the movie is not about gay Adam West. That was just way too much backstory about the Paul Newman character whose mom was briefly married to gay Adam West. Uh, And then it basically just gets into Paul Newman living his entire life uh, becoming a lawyer, right? Yeah, uh, he becomes a lawyer. He almost fucks some married lady. That's a huge, that is a huge trope in Paul Newman movies. The world was crying out for Paul Newman to fuck their wife. <laughs> it happens over and over again um, throughout his career. Uh, anyway, this was a really boring movie. The most noteworthy thing about it was just how much they do every disgusting gay cliche with that Adam West character in the beginning. Uh And that's pretty much it. Not worth it. Uh, Yeah, this movie definitely sucked. Um, And I feel like it's a really good example of one of the major themes of Paul Newman's early film career. One, One of the major themes is him, like, being too physically aggressive with women. And then eventually the women realize that they like it. Um... And the other one, which is represented in this movie, is like Paul Newman starts from nothing and he reaches the top just through force of will and elbow grease and hard work. Uh, And like if he if he like falls, if something bad happens to him, it's kind of like, oh, that's just the price you pay for being that much of a tough, great guy. It's really gross. It feels like. It feels like the wor- the the men of the world just like dumped all of their gross desires into Paul Newman, and that's what his early filmography was. Um, anyway, this movie sucks. The actress who plays his mother is the same age as him and just has slight old age makeup, and that's very distracting. Uh, and it's a uh, not worth it. Next is oh, from the terrace. This movie is about Paul Newman, who's a traveling salesman, who works his way up to the top with elbow grease and sheer force of will and has a very strained marriage to Joanne Woodward, his real-life wife. They love making movies together. That's very cute. I do love that about them. Uh, they, I don't think they ever made a decent movie together, so that's too bad. Um, 
yeah, this movie is uh, the tone is a little tough to take for like a full motion picture film. It's just very, uh, uh, it's dramatic without being interesting. It's uh, very melodramatic. Um, he has like an emotional affair with a younger woman while he's traveling the world and I feel like you're supposed to feel spiteful towards his wife because she's not being an interesting enough wife or something but it's like she's she's got a sad existence her husband is never home and then when he is home he's not nice to her and I feel bad for the wife I don't feel bad for Paul Newman uh this movie's not worth it yeah I have nothing to add uh I think uh when we were in the midst of watching this I had a lot of white hot rage about uh how misogynistic and disgusting all of these movies are uh but now i'm dead on the inside uh but it's certainly not worth it uh next up is the hustler which i think is really the one that broke me because as we were watching all these movies i'd never heard of i was like eventually we'll get to the hustler that's the good one everything will be okay but friend you better believe it was just as bad as any of the others uh the hustler is just like uh it's got that typical, like, the guy movie thing that comes up in so much of Paul Newman's work that's just like, uh, if I lose this game, it'll be embarrassing for me. And you're just like, oh, my God, get some real problems. What the fuck is wrong with this dude? Uh, there are what feel like hours upon hours of just full pool games in this movie. It's like, I don't want to fucking watch a full pool game like i barely want to watch like a football game let alone a thing that is just balls going into corners and nothing else um i did think that the character of his uh love interest was actually like a very distinctive and interesting character who reminded me of tragic women i've met in my own life um so that was cool however the actual like storyline of their relationship like did not track for me like the I just didn't understand like the cause and effect of any of their interactions uh overall not worth it uh yeah I don't have much to add I thankfully I wasn't as crushed by this movie because I wasn't really aware of it and didn't have expectations for it going in uh so I was like yep this is another bland one to get through before we get to cool hand Luke uh <laughs> but yeah I agree that it's it's pretty interminable. I feel like you'd have to be a pretty big pool guy to really be able to really be able to <laughs> attach any weight to this narrative. And yeah, for me, it's like definitely not worth it. Um, next is oh, a new kind of love. Uh, yes, this is the one where Paul Newman goes to Paris. Uh, and works in the fashion industry and has some supposedly romantic shenanigans. And you would think the fact that it's a romance in Paris about the fashion industry would mean it would, like, in some way appeal to women, but I feel like it was the same old Paul Newman's going to punch you and you're going to like it that we get in all of his movies. Uh, there's some scenes that are supposed to be funny but are just really awkward with, like, mistaken identity in that rom-com way that just like don't hold up to the most basic scrutiny of logic uh it's real it's real difficult to get through not worth it yeah this is another joanne woodward one and joanne woodward's character 
as I feel like her characters in Paul Newman movies often are, like starts out as a a broad who's got too much of a chip on her shoulder, but <laughs> Paul Newman's gonna show her. And it's she starts out as this like tomboy, like she has short hair and she wears like she kind of dresses like Andy Warhol. She seems very lesbiany, and like even though she does not look good, I'm feeling it because she is living her truth. Um, and then she like. Yeah, there's just, like, that classic dumb rom-com business where she's, like, to get him, for some reason, I'm going to pretend to fall in love with him. Like, she gets a makeover, and he doesn't recognize her, and she's hot now, and then she's, like, I'm going to pretend to want to sleep with him for shenanigans, but then she really falls in love. Uh, and it's just so depressing. I'm just, I don't want to watch handsome smirky Paul Newman break his real life wife over and over on screen but I have I did I watched it many times and um th and this is a uh, uh one of the worst examples of that um yeah it's it's a comedy but it truly falls flat at, at every like comedic beat it fails to ever be funny and it's not it's not like so bad. It's good, funny. Like I think Rally Round the Flag Boys is. It's just a heavy, heavy weight to bear, <laughs> uh, and I definitely give it a not worth it. Oh, and next one of these days, I am gonna get the hang of this. Next up is the prize. The prize has the distinction of being the first movie in Paul Newman's filmography that thinking back on it I was like I remember the plot beats of that movie and I don't need to read the Wikipedia article to refresh my memory so that's good um it has a s it's a movie with a sort of Hitchcock light feel um it's like a thriller about the Nobel the Nobel Peace Prize um it's some intrigue going on at the ceremonies in Stockholm um, Paul Newman is a, is he a writer? I think he's a writer. He's like a troubled novelist. He's a 1960s Brad Easton Ellis. He's just drunk all the time, except he's winning a Nobel Prize, so he's not Brad Easton Ellis. I just wanted to talk about Brad Easton Ellis, but this is not the forum for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's like, uh, there's intrigue, there's like assassination attempts, there's um, confused identity, there's uh it's got it's got a you know a lot of uh the tropes of that genre but it's it's a reasonably well executed uh, kind of like thriller um but not so well executed that you should watch that and not like you know any number of the famous thrillers <laughs> with similar plots that are out there so uh i d i don't mind this movie but i am gonna give it a resounding not worth it yeah, I agree. I feel like this just, like, didn't quite have a handle on how to be a thriller. Like, I feel like there's a part where he, like, fully sees a guy get, like, thrown off a waterfall. And uh, he just, like, goes back to his apartment and has a drink. <laughs> and, like, a lot of it is him just, like, running around trying to get, like, random people to understand that a murder happened. And you're like is there a reason he can't go to the police with this? Like, it just, uh, it doesn't quite get it right. Uh, not worth it. Uh, next up is What a Way to Go, which is a Shirley MacLaine uh, comedy where uh, she goes to a lawyer to get her will done, right? That's the setup? Yep. She's at a, 
isn't doesn't it open with her at a psychiatrist talking about her? Yeah, it's a yeah. Anyway, it's there's a framing device where she goes to a guy to tell this very long story uh, that is the entire movie. Um, and basically, what happens is uh, she has this curse where she keeps marrying uh, normal guys, and then as soon as she marries them, they get incredibly rich, and the love is gone, and she divorces. So now, oh no, she's got. All of these, or sorry, and then they die. Uh, uh, and so then, oh no, she's got all of this money she's inherited. What's she going to do? Uh, it's a weird premise that feels like, like it feels like a street joke. Like I felt like kids in elementary school would tell me the plot of this movie as like a fun story that kids tell. Uh, but for some reason instead, it's a movie and it does not work at all. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But I do like her one husband who loves wearing elaborate matching pink outfits with her. So was that a not worth it for you? That was a not worth it for me, Katie. All right. Uh, I am kind of feeling this movie on a lot of levels. Um, I think the th like the thing I like the most is that she has this uh, succession of husbands and each one is played by like a major hunk leading man of the time. She's got Paul Newman. She's got, um, or Dick Van Dyke. Maybe I shouldn't call him a hunk leading man, but he's, you know, he's famous. Uh, it, there's a lot of A-listers. Uh, Gene Kelly uh, is in there. Um, Bing Crosby, right? Bing Crosby was the first guy. I think, I think so. Um, there's more, but it's like, uh, yeah, she's just going from like one like A-list uh, handsome dude to another and I just think that that's really fun uh, like watching her cycle through all these love interests and they're all like huge names um, and I also think that the idea of like the curse the curse that she all she wants is like a simple life but she keeps she keep her her curse on her makes these men rich and then they die is like a fun idea and I think that done with a slightly different tone like more of a black comedy tone and not such a like just like wacky goofy tone I think that, that could be a really fun movie uh, and I would love to see this remade today with just like she's married to Michael B. Jordan and then he dies and then she's married to Ryan Gosling and then he dies uh, I think that could be really fun there's a lot of potential in this film um, but yeah ultimately it's uh, pretty pretty weird and pretty dumb and really not funny um, so it is not worth it but it is worth remaking Contact me, producers. Okay. Sad. Uh, uh, what I, I think what I think makes this movie so insufferable is that it's just like they set up this framing device where that allows her to literally tell someone, I keep marrying rich men and then they die. And then we, for some reason, watch that for two hours after she's already said it in just one sentence. And I found that incredibly insufferable that they were like, you know what this movie needs? Zero surprises. People were dumber in the 60s. They couldn't handle the shock <laughs> of a single plot twist. Okay. <clears throat> uh, next up is The Outrage, which is an American remake of Rashomon. Um, and watching it really made me think, hey, I should watch Rashomon and not this. Um, it was. It's like a reasonably well done movie, um, but I just don't want to hear first of all Paul Newman Paul Newman is Mexican in this movie right 
yes, Paul Newman is Mexican in this movie, and he's accused of a rape that he may or may not have committed. And I don't want to sit through that long of hearing uh, 1960s white men's thoughts on racial politics and uh, and uh, sexual politics. Uh, it's a little exhausting. And so no amount of being reasonably well acted can get it out of just how uncomfortable it is. So I say not worth it. Um, I would say to the bold claim that it's reasonably well made, no, it absolutely goddamn is not. Uh, William Shatner's performance is fine is the best thing I can say about this movie. Uh, it has a nonsense framing device where for some reason we're watching three people talk about events that are being talked about. Like they saw people talk about events that are the actual events of this movie. Like this is goddamn inception or something. Um, and uh, Paul Newman plays a Mexican man with like a really, a truly bad accent. It sounds like a like, mad tv actor doing a japanese accent like it's so so bad and you better believe they put makeup on him for this role as well and uh as katie said yeah it's all about figuring out like ooh, did he rape a girl but the thing is like in every every single version they say i'm like yeah i think that's rape yeah yeah i think so like <laughs> they're like their version of being like did he really rape her as being like, I think she started to enjoy it after a while. Um, it's a fucking disgusting movie. And uh, I, f uh, I forgot to say this in the intro, but for first time listeners on this podcast, we hand out two awards. Uh, we have a gold star for the best thing that an actor has ever done. And then we also have a black ball for the worst thing an actor has ever done. And you better believe I'm blackballing ombre, or sorry, not ombre. I always want to call this ombre because he's Mexican. Uh, I'm blackballing the outrage uh, because of fucking everything about it. And I just really want to emphasize that uh, I'm not like I'm preachy and I'm definitely an SJW or whatever, but that's not even the issue. Like it's just a bad movie. Like his performance as a Mexican man is just objectively bad and the plot is terrible. Uh, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I said that it was reasonably well made. <laughs> there, there's certainly some terrible, terrible issues with it. Okay. Next up is Harper, which is sort of, uh, it was sort of like, a campier or maybe equally campy James Bond. I don't have that much of a handle on what James Bond was like, but what re Harper really felt like Austin Powers to me. Like it was so like brightly colored and like there's a part where a girl in like a 1960s dress is dancing on a trampoline for like no reason while looking directly at the camera. Uh, so I was really optimistic about like, okay, this will be like silly, but super fun. But they just like, didn't really go far enough with those touches and I feel like I quickly like that fun aesthetic just like wasn't enough to get me through it um it ended up being a pretty boring mystery uh but I did really like um the character played by Shelley Winters is legitimately both a really good female character and a really funny character which really does not come up a lot in Paul Newman's filmography so for that reason uh Harper stands out but for the most part it is pretty bland and mediocre uh so i'm gonna give it a not worth it yeah you're right the shelly winters character was really the high point she was like an an older lady who is like a really interesting and fun and like cool character yeah uh that's definitely 
pretty much the only thing this movie has going for it, other than, I guess, like, some girls in cute 60s dresses. That's always enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really into, like, spy thriller, James Bond genre at all in the first place. And then I feel like this was, a, like, a less interesting version of that kind of story. So it is not worth it. Uh, next up is Torn Curtain, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film, and I was very excited because I'm a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan. I've seen, I think, pretty much all of his movies, um, but I hadn't seen Torn Curtain in a long time, so I didn't really remember it. And I was let down because this is definitely one of his lesser films. It is not too interesting. Um, it's uh, One thing about this that is very interesting is that he's like, he's playing like an older guy, so he's just, he's got like age makeup and like, artificially gray hair for like kind of no reason like I don't know why he needed to be old but they're just like no 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 the character is 55 but we got to get 32 year old Paul Newman or however old he was but then it's like kind of after that movie that's just what he looks like and it sort of feels like he never took off the torn curtain makeup so that's the most interesting thing about this movie um it's I don't know it's like a, it's about the, the Soviet Union and spies and stuff um I think Paul Newman's wife, who is, who is it? J Julie, Andrews. Julie Andrews, that's right. Um, Paul Newman's wife, Julie Andrews, um, realizes that he's like lying about where he's been going. Uh, and she realizes he's going to, he's going to the USSR. And she thinks he's like secretly working with the Russians, but then he's secretly working against them. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of, um, it's not that interesting. Uh, it's, more it's more of a like spy intrigue movie and less of like a thriller like psychological suspense film than a lot of Hitchcock's movies so it's like less up my alley but I also feel like it's kind of just not as well crafted and not as as just like unique and interesting as a lot of Hitchcock films the one thing it does that's kind of cool is it has like long stretches of no score which I I believe I remember hearing like Hitchcock had a certain music that he wanted to use and then like he couldn't get it. So he's just like, whatever, no score. And then people saw it and were like, oh, that's such an interesting uh, artistic direction. But it is, it is an, art an interesting artistic direction that wasn't really done at the time. So that's cool. Um, other than that, it, it's just not really that worth watching. Watch a different Hitchcock movie. Um, I guess I said not worth watching, but I'm just officially going to announce not worth it. Uh, yeah, I agree with most of what you said. I thought that the the long periods of no score was absolutely insufferable. Uh, I've seen other things use that for uh, tension in a way that actually works, but uh, there's no tension in this story. So it's uh, since there isn't any tension in the story, it's just like, okay, now I'm listening to the sound of footsteps on linoleum and keys shaking for a very long time. Um, and I believe the thing that happened was he was fighting with his longtime composer during this movie. I don't know if it's true that he uh, was like, well, since you're fighting with me, I'm just going to put in complete silence. But that does seem like the kind of petty bullshit that Hitchcock would pull. Anyway, uh, found this very hard to watch and I'm giving it a not worth it. Uh, next up is Ombre, the movie where uh, Paul Newman uh, was raised by Native Americans uh, and uh, the best thing I can say about this was that it was not nearly as offensive as I was prepared for. And also, it's got a great tagline. Ombre means man. Paul Newman is ombre. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it, I really, like, I saw the cover where it has the title ombre and Paul Newman is looking, like, a little ambiguously Native American, and I was really prepared to hate it. And then it ended up just, like, I feel like the work, the worst stuff about it is just like the general cool white manness of it all that all Paul Newman movies have, but it wasn't as uh, stunningly offensive as I was prepared for going in. But you know what it was? It was not worth it. Yeah, here's here's how interesting this movie is. <laughs> Lenny and I watched it, and then later, having forgotten we watched it, we started watching it a second time. And at a certain point, I recognized an actor that I like. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Martin Balsam is playing a Mexican man in this movie. Didn't we already watch a different movie where he played a Mexican man? And I spent a long time trying to figure out what was the other Paul Newman movie where Martin Balsam played a Mexican man. And then eventually, after we'd sat through maybe 35 minutes of this film, we realized, oh, it was Ombre. We already watched Ombre. We just watched the first 35 minutes again, and it didn't occur to either of us that we had already watched this. So it's very uninteresting. Uh, and Martin Balsam, white actor, plays a Mexican man. Uh, so that's not great. It's definitely not worth it. So next up is Cool Hand Luke. Um, we've been kind of coming after Paul Newman pretty hard so far. Uh, so I do want to say that I nominated him because he was my favorite actor. And um, I really love him. And Cool Hand Luke is one of the reasons that I really love him. Um, it is, watching it in the context of his filmography, it is a little more annoying than it is watching it on its own because I've already seen him watch so many cool, tough, cool guys that all the other guys want to be like. And then Cool Hand Luke, it's like, God damn it, this is another fucking Paul Newman cool, tough, cool guy who's troubled but in a cool way that all the other guys want to be like. But taking that, taking that away, uh, this is a really excellently done movie. It's really well acted, really well written. It's uh, very touching. It's, it gives you hope, and then it takes your hope away. And then it kind of gives you your hope back. Uh, it's... I love this movie a lot, um, and it's not its not even my favorite Paul Newman movie, but it's still so, so good, and especially looking at, like, looking at the other stuff that Paul Newman had been in up to this point, I don't know how much his career was, is, like, indicative of where the film industry was at that point, but it feels like it was, it feels like it was a big breakthrough of a movie because it is so much more artistic. It has such so much more of like an auteur feel than like anything he was in up to this point. Um, so I love this movie. It's great. Probably most people have seen it if they're listening to a film podcast because it's part of the film canon. But I definitely give it a big worth it. Um, so yes, this movie does spend uh, about an hour establishing that Paul Newman's a good cool guy. That's really interesting. Just watching a full hour of it being like, here's all the stuff cool guys do. You know what cool guys do? They watch hot women who are inexplicably washing a car for a really, really long time. Uh, and then after they've done that for an hour and you're completely numb and your soul has left your body, a story starts. So uh, good for them for eventually 
doing a plot after you're dead inside and wish you were doing literally anything other than watching this movie. Not worth it. Lenny, that take is just too hot. <laughs> no, I no, I support you fully. I'm just, I'm truly amazed. I knew you didn't like this movie as much as I did, but I'm truly amazed <laughs> by how much you did not like it. But I love and support you in this and all things. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so next up... Uh, Next up is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, which is Paul Newman and Robert Redford running around being cowboys. Uh, it's extremely repetitive. They're just uh, running from some guys uh, for a full movie. That's really all I have to say about it is how unbelievably redundant it is. Oh, and it also has a nine-minute rape joke, which was possibly a mistake on their part. That's all I have. Not worth it. Okay. So I love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, there's one scene with Cloris Leachman where she is in unbelievably sexy, and just that scene is a great movie. I highly recommend the Cloris Leachman scene in this movie. Great. So I love this movie a lot. It's written by William Goldman, who wrote uh, The Princess Bride, and it has that same like wit to it. Um, and I think that Robert Redford and Paul Newman play off of each other so incredibly well. I wish they had made more movies together. Um, I wish they had been the Owen Wilson and the Ben Stiller of their day, but they only did two movies together. But they're so great together. I think this is Paul Newman's uh, most charming role. This is the first. This is the first movie he's in where he's like he's like a cool. He's a real cool guy. The other guys should want to be like. But I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold on this guy being like a cool guy, and I do want to be like him. I'm into it. Um, yeah, I just think it's really fun. Um, it is. It does go on too long, though. Uh, I feel like the first half of the movie, maybe it's slightly over half, maybe it's the first 60% of the movie, feels like a complete story with a complete arc. And then, like, great, I'm done. I'm ready to get out. And then it's like they, they relocate to South America. And then the movie just keeps going. And then it's like a whole second movie happens. And it's way too much. It should have ended considerably earlier. Um, and I think that the second half uh, also just is less interesting and, and has less momentum than the first half. Um, so it's not a perfect movie, but it is a really, really fun movie and really charming. The nine-minute rape joke is not great. Um, but it's <laughs> as far as rape jokes go, it's not that bad. It's just you think you think Robert Redford is sexually assaulting a woman, but then they're just it's just it's their that's their fun time. That's they're they're both into it. Anyway, look, that's uncomfortable, but it's still a great film. And when I think of Paul Newman as one of my favorite actors, but Cassidy is the first character that pops into my little head. Um, and yes, I definitely say that it is worth it. Uh, so next up is The Macintosh Man, which is a movie about a man who works, who's, wor who's like a kind of, is he like a spy or is he like a cop? He's like a spy. Okay. And he's he's an American. It's Paul Newman. He's working with the British government. Um, and he has to go like undercover and like go to prison as like part of this undercover operation. Um, and I have already established that I just kind of don't really have patience for spy movies. I'm just not into them. And this one didn't land with me. Um, I really can't rem can't remember like an interesting moment or like a thing that I took away from it. I just remember watching it and being like, I wasn't into Harper and this is like 
less interesting Harper with cars on the wrong side of the road. So I give it a not worth it. Um, I thought it was like a more interesting Harper. It had the distinction of uh, keeping me, I don't want to say interested in the plot, but keeping me following the plot the whole time. Um, but what I found really frustrating about this movie was that they had a really great, really simple premise of like, you're going to go into prison and get really close to this criminal. And I was like, oh, great. That's like a simple premise that'll be like really tense, really fun to watch. And then just like really early on, this like crazy organization busts him out of prince uh, out of prison and it becomes like this really unnecessarily convoluted uh plot for like no reason and I found that uh very annoying um I did like the character of uh Paul Newman's uh female uh secret agent uh partner uh she was uh relatively refreshing in uh a movie that is still overall some sexist bullshit (laughs) um yeah so I give the Macintosh man a uh a light not worth it uh next up is the sting uh paul newman and robert redford together again being repetitive again uh movies like this are all like 100 percent dependent on like how slick the sequences are how cool the music is uh stuff like that and this just like maybe it pulled it off as well as it could at the time but it definitely does not hold up at all the cons they're doing are incredibly uninteresting the cons are just like what if i took extra playing cards out of my pocket so that i win this poker game um it definitely gets a big uh not worth it from me uh i could watch paul newman and robert redford be repetitive together for the rest of my life i love it so much they're so great together um I had fond memories of watching The Sting as a child and revisiting it now. I agree that it does not hold up as well as I expected it to. The actual, like, mechanics of the plot and the, like, kind of cons that they pull are overall not that interesting. I think they have a couple of good cons. They have they have one where, like, one at the beginning where, like, a guy pretends he's injured and he needs to go to the hospital and there's, like, switching wallets around. It's great. That, th- uh, But, yeah, a lot of them... Um, a lot of them are not as fun and like as delightful to watch unfold as they easily could be. They could have gotten a lot more mileage out of making a movie about two con men. But the characters, the way that they relate to each other, the way they play off of each other is still so fun that I really enjoyed this movie a lot. And I definitely give it a worth it. Uh, so next up is The Towering Inferno which is perhaps most notable for having O.J. Simpson in a supporting role. Um, It's a disaster movie. Uh, It's basically um, Jaws in an office building. (laughs) And I say that because uh, the danger comes less from from the force of nature that is causing a threat, the fire or the shark, (laughs) <laughs> the fire in this case, um, then from the officials who are like, no, 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 let's just wait this out and keep everybody in harm's way so that I don't lose a small amount of money or publicity or whatever. And it's like a tragedy that easily could have been avoided if only those greedy fat cats had been able to think straight. Um, 
It's not a very entertaining movie. I thought it was going to be more campy and more fun than it is. And it's certainly, like, trashy enough to be super campy, but it's not fun enough. Um, yeah, I just truly, like... There's no reason to watch this. There's just there just isn't. There are so many disaster movies. Like you can find a better one. Don't watch this one. Not worth it. Yeah, I I love a movie where the true villain is capitalism, but this movie does it in such a weird way where they like they act like a big thing is like greedy skyscraper makers. Uh, they just like keep being like men like you don't care about anybody's safety. You just care about making taller and taller buildings. But like, I think most skyscrapers like lose money. They're just like architects who are like being ambitious and like trying to create something interesting, but there's no like profit to be had in like making the tallest building. Um, it's really weird and specific. Uh, and yeah, it just, uh, I feel like a movie like this really, um, really uh, sinks our sails based on like the smaller interpersonal conflicts that come to light through the, uh, that sort of play out uh, in the midst of all the danger. And then this one, it's so boring. You have to care about just like, nine heterosexuals with their dumb relationship problems and uh yeah it was just incredibly incredibly uninteresting uh next up is buffalo bill and the indians or sitting bull's history lesson which is robert altman's uh satire about a uh theater troupe uh that puts on um a play about the cowboys uh and indians uh and uh there's basically, there's like two moments in this that I thought were like truly great satire that really hold up, uh, and that uh, that re that really made me want to like this movie. Um, but it just it's so it's so long, and it has so much stuff that's like like you'll like you're just watching like a full sharpshooting contest, like you'll, you're just watching people like. Uh, tried to hit a bullseye six different times uh, with like no editing or anything to make that interesting. And it's just like, it's not worth it for just like a couple of good points about how white men brush over history. Uh, so, you know, I liked, um, I liked what this movie was trying to do. Uh, but uh, that Altman style of filmmaking, that's just like, so naturalistic, uh, I think, uh, did not work, at least in this movie, uh, because, uh, yeah, there's just, like, so, so much thrown in, uh, that is, like, distracting from what the movie is trying to do. So not worth it. Um, I'm excited to hear that this had some good satire in it. That's nice. Um, I shamefully sat through this entire film and simply did not retain a single second of it. I guess that's not fair. I retained, I'm going to say, literally 60 seconds total of this two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour, five-hour, however long it was movie. Um, I don't know what it was, but it just did not connect with my brain at all. I couldn't pay attention to it. It may as well have just been static. Um, I And for that reason, 
I gotta say that it is not worth it, and I gotta give it my black ball, because it is the least interesting thing I've ever sat through. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this probably reflects more poorly on me than on the film, but what can I do? I, it was so intensely uninteresting, and I have, in general, like a pretty good tolerance for like plotting, a plotting uh, pace in a film or something, but... Ooh, it just didn't happen for me with this one, guys. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Black Ball, don't watch it, because it's nothing. All right, so on that note, yes, go ahead, Lenny. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel a little bad for Robert Altman that this gets uh, the Black Ball over the Paul Newman is a Mexican not rapist <laughs> movie. But uh, you got to follow your heart, Katie. You got to follow your heart. Uh, we are going to do a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, folks, things are going to get a lot better for everybody. I promise. Uh, if, you're, if you're feeling a white hot rage at us and probably mainly me right now, I just want to say I never claimed to be an expert in classic films. And I truly never thought I would be called upon to give my opinions on a bunch of classic films in quick succession for any reason in my entire life. I'm just trying to have a podcast over here, guys. I just wanted to talk about Reese Witherspoon and Kirsten Dunst. Uh, but I, 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 I truly think when we get back from the break and we get to uh, the late 70s and after Paul Newman movies, we're all really going to have a lot of fun together. Back in history class, did you ever take a step back from that textbook you were reading and just think to yourself, man, these people are very dumb. Hi, my name is Eric McAdams, and I have a podcast for you. It's called Big Time Whoopsies, and every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network, I tell a guest, and you the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Big Time Whoopsies. People are dumb, and history can prove it. Alright, and we're back. So now, the fun times are here. To stay, uh, we are talking about Slapshot, which is a hockey comedy. Uh, and I did not think this movie was going to be up my alley because it is a hockey comedy. But it was fucking great. Um, it, Paul Newman is like, I feel like this is our first, this is really the birth of like old man Paul Newman. I guess, well, I guess in the sting He's kind of, he's he's getting there. But this is like old man Paul Newman out in full force. Just white hair, wrinkled all to hell, <laughs> playing a character who's missing teeth and is past his prime. And he is wonderful. Um, he, uh, yeah, this is a, it, he's like a kind of past his prime hockey player. Um, the actual plot i can't really remember it was not that important to me it was uh, we, we, we probably it was something like we got to win the big game um <laughs> but it's really fun um there are three characters who are brothers who play hockey who are real hockey players and they're so fun they're so funny to watch they're only in the slapshot movies they're not actors and they're just delightful there's so much delight in this film and it's like uh, it's from the 70s and it's got a lot of like kind of kind of real problematic jock humor and yet it like comes out in a way that I'm like okay with I'm like I'm like not totally okay with them 
casually throwing around homophobic slurs, obviously, but it's, it feels like it, it doesn't come from a place of hate. And there's like a, there's a, a bisexual woman character who really is, kind of talked about in a way that is not really cool and is kind of problematic but is portrayed actually in a way that is like very uh charming i think um so yeah this is a super fun movie highly recommend it uh worth it yeah i loved this movie um i might i think i probably loved it more than i would have normally coming off the heels of so many movies that are uh not up my alley and then finally getting to a movie that is incredibly to my taste uh but regardless it's a great film uh it reminds me i it reminds me a lot of something like it's always sunny in philadelphia because like katie said there's like a lot of like upset it you hear people say a lot of upsetting stuff but to me i think it's like much uh much more interesting and i felt I felt a lot more comfortable watching this than watching a lot of more like innocuous sanitized comedies, honestly. Um, Cause you do get, uh, yeah, you do get stuff like the scene where the woman tells Paul Newman about uh, how she's just been having sex with women for a while. And then she asks him, you know, would you be with men? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And he seems like kind of bored by the question. Like I was like really riveted by that scene. And it was like, so, um, so like honest and so like, you know, it just felt like they were like, this is not really a big deal, which you just like never see in comedies. Um, and uh, yeah, the the only thing I really knew about this movie going in was that uh, the Paul Newman character seemed like he was like a proto Billy Bob Thornton type. And it really delivered on that in a great way. Uh, I think it's this was really refreshing for both a Paul Newman movie and for a sports movie because both of those things have a lot of men who are like, what if I'm not the most special person in the world? That would be humiliating. <laughs> um, but this movie is just about a bunch of people who are like, like these athletes are doing it because it's their source of income and like they would have to get another job if they lose. And that's what their motivation is. Uh, and uh, that's what they want to win, which I that I found that incredibly refreshing for a sports movie um and yeah it's just really funny uh very notably uh written by a woman screenwriter and it's a very funny very edgy movie and uh yeah I highly recommend it and yeah the non-actors are like so funny and weird I also forgot to mention that Michael Antkeen who played Harry Truman on Twin Peaks is in this and he's super cute and he's super charming and it's this is the only non-Harry Truman role I've ever seen him in, so it was just very exciting to see him. I would just like to add on to that, that you see a lot of Michael Antkeen, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Well, guys, if you think that goofy sports movies are fun, I've got a movie for you. Robert Altman's deadly serious post-apocalyptic film, Quintet. This movie has all the fun of a barren snowy wasteland and a game that's like chess but even more complicated. Also, I think it might have all been a dream. I'm not totally sure. Watching this movie was a fucking ordeal. It's so long and 
I got the feeling it was probably all an allegory for like, who knows, Vietnam, global warming. It could be anything, but it felt like it was probably an allegory. Uh, my God, it was boring and extremely not worth it. Yeah, Lenny and I both like separately in our heads compared this to Dune and then realized that we were both <laughs> we were both like, this is like Dune, but no fun. Dune without like anything interesting to throw at you. There's no weird machine that's made out of a rat and a fucking cow like in Dune. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is really bizarre and strange, uh, but in like in no way interesting. Um and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a like Hunger Games type plot, I think. Uh, like I, it's some it's some kind of like oh a deadly game that the winners are the ones who get to live another day or something. Oh, but there's just there's truly not a thrill to be had <laughs> in this movie. And yeah, there's a very strange framing device where like a woman falls asleep in the snow and then the edges of the film become blurry and then it's and then we're watching the rest of the movie happen and Paul Newman's talking about how his wife who was the woman who we saw kind of like fall asleep like he's talking about how she died but the edges are still blurry so it's like oh is it this woman's dream they'll clear this up soon and then the edges just stay blurry for the entire movie and then the movie ends what what happened oh and also but also it's like uh, the edges get blurry. The woman falls asleep. The edges get blurry. Then we jump back in time a little bit. We see that woman walk past something like from a different angle than we saw her walk earlier. So it's like we're okay. So we're starting back in time from where we started, but then we're moving beyond the point where we started. But the edges are blurry the whole time. What do the blurry edges mean? I don't know. You never unblur. They're not blurry for a hundred percent of the movie. There's an intro where it's normal edges. Then it goes blurry edges twenty minutes in, and then the edges never unblur. What does it? Not worth it. <laughs> so next, next is a little film that's a little easier to wrap your mind around. It's called When Time Ran Out. It's about a volcano. Volcano's gonna blow. Gotta get away from that volcano. Um, truly uninteresting. I don't like disaster movies, and this is one of those. Not worth it. Yeah, this movie, at first I thought it was just, like, incredibly cheap and poorly made. And then afterwards I think, oh, it must be intentionally trying to look like a movie from the 1960s. Because it had, like, that, like, Annette Vanicello beach movie feel. But they did not pull that off. Nor did they pull anything off. It's, like, it's one of the more ridiculous disaster movies I've ever seen. Because it's all just, like, like, there's a scene where... I think Paul Newman, Paul Newman or some other voice of reason is like, you guys, we have to evacuate. And instead, of, like, it's not even like they just refuse to evacuate. They're like actively like, fuck you. Don't you tell me what to do. Uh, it's really just annoying. And like, it's weird that disaster movies existed before, like, giving movies a lot of money existed because it's like you don't get to watch like cool volcano stuff. You just know that there's a threat for two hours. Uh, CGI movie, uh, or disaster movies should not have been invented until CGI was invented. Uh, yeah, definitely not worth it. Next up is Absence of Malice, which is uh, my favorite title in the uh, law-abiding citizen category of movie titles that sound incredibly uninteresting. Uh, Absence of Malice is about um, 
Sally Field is this journalist who reports on Paul Newman being a murderer with very little evidence. Uh, and then she apologizes and fucks him. And uh, a lot of it, I feel like it could have been super exciting. Like, of course I want to watch someone think Paul Newman is a murderer, but still fuck them. That should be every movie. Um, but like the logic of it is just so hard to track. Like, how journalism works and how police investigations work is like so just off the goddamn map in this movie. It's bananas. Uh, and I don't like, in addition to like the, the like logic of like journalism and the world of, uh, the world of law being confusing, just like people's personal motivations are confusing. Like I, I think that her, thinking he might have killed someone and also being like, I'm going to fuck this guy could have been a really interesting juxtaposition, but like you have so much trouble tracking her thought process at any given moment that it's, it just ends up being confusing. It's a big, not worth it for me. Yeah. This, um, I, re I really enjoyed Paul Newman's character in this movie. He's like the son of a big mob guy and everybody thinks that he's in the mob, but he's not really. But he is also like he has kind of a troubled past and he's kind of trying to be a normal guy. But stuff keeps getting in the way of that. And like this, these murder accusations are the newest thing that's messing with his attempts to just to just work on his boat. He just wants to work on his boat. <laughs> um, see, I'm. I was. I really liked Paul Newman's character, and as the story goes along, and he, may he is, becomes like maybe a little less charming. Like he, he, you discover that there's a little bit more um, danger to him than maybe at first it seemed like. Um, I I still really was on board with him as a character. He he was really good, um, and I thought like the tension between him and Sally Field confusing though it was and maybe not logical uh was still working in a very real way for me <laughs> um really truly young young ass sally field and old ass old ass paul newman together were real hot um and i'm tempted to give it a worth it but i won't because i don't think it really was working as a story but it was working as a vehicle for watching Paul Newman grab Sally Field and throw her on the floor. So if, <laughs> if that sounds fun, check this movie out. Um, but as a work of art, I will give it a not worth it. Can I just add, there's like a scene very early on in this movie where uh, Sally Field has just written this article accusing Paul Newman of murder. And he invites her out, just the two of them, onto his boat. <laughs> Girl! Do not get on that boat. You think he's a murderer and you just reported that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That feels like a that feels like a comedic sketch premise. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay, so next up is the verdict, uh, which is about uh, a loser of a lawyer played by Paul Newman. He kind of has like a Willie Loman feel. The 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 death of a salesman of lawyers is this man. He's very sad. Um and he's he's kind of just you know he's not driven by like ideology or like trying to trying to win for the little guy he's just trying to get just trying to get his money so that he can just keep the lights in and on li the lights on in his tiny bachelor apartment um but then he takes he takes on a case where he he's 
he really feels for his client so much or his client is uh somebody who's in a coma but he uh, the loved ones of the person are going through so much turmoil that it awakens something in him and he's really trying to fight for this person um and he's he's the little guy he's up against the big guys the the lawyers with a lot of money and also the catholic church <laughs> it's little guy versus the catholic church and a bunch of lawyers with money um it's it's kind of got to me like a john grisham feel um but ma which is maybe partially because it's called the verdict which is just a very john grishamy type title um but it's it's a really it's a it's dri really dr character driven really driven by like just watching this really weak and like broken character like try to stand up to other characters who are just much stronger and better than him at everything and it really is moving and uh and i enjoyed it a lot and it's a very this character is like a very refreshing contrast to a lot of the earlier Paul Newman characters who are just so cool and nothing can touch them. And even if stuff goes wrong, it's going wrong in a cool way. Like they crash their Harley <laughs> or something <laughs> like this is a man who's kind of lost all of his dignity, but is still trying to do something worthwhile. And it's great. I give it a definite worth it. Yeah, uh, this is a David Mamet film, and I do love that you said it has a John Grisham vibe, and I really hope that David Mamet hears this somehow. I did not know it was David Mamet. Suck it. Um, yeah, I liked this movie a lot. It's, uh, it's pretty typical uh, for a courtroom drama. They didn't, like, do anything outside of the formula, but I thought the just like the specific twists and turns of the case really all worked and I was very interested in all of them. And this is definitely my favorite Paul Newman performance because they let him have any vulnerability, which is very rare for a Paul Newman character. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm definitely giving it a worth it. The one thing I'll say is there's a tacked on romantic plot with Charlotte Rampling and I love Charlotte Rampling and I was really excited to see her and Paul Newman together, but just like, their scenes do not work at all. It feels like so phoned in and just so like they were like, well, people aren't going to see it if there's not a romantic plot line. And it just it just fell flat. But all the all the courtroom stuff was very good. Uh, next up is The Color of Money, uh, which is a sort of sequel to The Hustler. Uh, like it doesn't seem like it has any of the same creatives involved but Paul Newman is playing the same character for some reason uh which isn't like quite a thing that exists uh but I dig it um and uh unlike The Hustler this is a really slickly made film uh with uh just like a lot of good montages and a lot of good music and stuff like that um it's just really fun uh Paul Newman's character sort of takes uh, this character played by Tom Cruise under his wing and uh, their dynamic and Paul Newman's dynamic with uh, Tom Cruise's girlfriend is really, really great, except for, of course, one classic Paul Newman scene where he just like grabs her and is like, let's fuck right now. And he's not he's like making a point. He's like not actually trying to sexually assault her, but it's still just like, oh, my God, every goddamn time. But uh, up until that moment, I re and like everything after that moment, I really dug the friendship between them. Um, yeah, the color money uh, uh, for like the first like two thirds, I felt like it was like solidly like 
in the running for my gold star. I was like really feeling it. And then like for some reason at like the 90 minute mark, just like all the energy drained out. And I really felt like the last little bit of it just was so much less fun, um, which was really weird and disappointing. But overall, I'm definitely still going to give it a worth it. Yeah, I also really enjoyed this movie. Um, I didn't expect to because it's another pool movie. But yeah, the characters are so great together. Um, the the like old old grizzled pro and like young hotshot upstart dynamic was really working. And the the girlfriend character is not just sh- not ju- just like a chick who's there. She's like also an interesting person with her own personality. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just really fun to watch the three of them together. Um, and the pool stuff like isn't boring. Like it's actually shot and like staged in a way where you're like enjoying watching them play pool. And it, this has the iconic scene of like Tom Cruise dancing to werewolves of London while he's like showboating playing pool. And like, I had seen that clip out of context before. And then in context, I was like, Oh, this is like, more enjoyable than it is out of context, which I feel like is a thing that ha- doesn't happen a lot with <laughs> iconic scenes. I feel like when I usually, if, if I see the iconic scene out of context and then I see it in context, I'm just like, oh, this is distracting. Like I've seen this before. Um, but in this, I was like, oh, this is like, fu- I, I see how this is a really good scene. Um, it really works in context really well. Um, yeah, so it's very fun. Um, and I, I totally agree that it's so strange, like, at all, they're so close to the finish line, and then they just, like, give up. This movie just suddenly gets, like, so dull and so dead. It's, like, at the point where they, uh, where they go to the, like, big pool competition at the end. It's just, like, suddenly, suddenly, who cares? Whatever. It's, like, okay, why didn't you just end your movie before then, if you (laughs) were out of steam? Um, but yeah, up and up until up until that point, it is so fun to watch. It's so interesting. It's got great characters, um, and it's totally not a kind of movie that would be up my alley. So the fact that I enjoyed it this much is, I, I think, really speaks highly of it, uh, and I definitely will give it a worth it. So next up is a little film called Fat Man and Little Boy, which is about the uh, creation of the atomic bomb. And I went into this thinking that it was going to be like a super downer, super heavy, and it wasn't. So that was a relief, except that then it was weird that it wasn't a heavy downer because it was about the atomic bomb and it had a real kind of middle of the road, like milk toast tone to it. And I wasn't really sure what it was doing other than like just trying to pump out a like historical period piece to be like bought by public schools to be shown to children in history class uh it really really had the feel of a movie you watch in history class just not interesting and not artistic and just kind of like this is some stuff that happened um truly like there's not really a reason to watch this uh not interesting doesn't make any good points, I don't think. And I don't think it really took a stand on whether the atomic bomb was good or bad. So it's not worth it. Yeah, I agree. I think this was maybe trying to be like MASH. Like it was sort of like focusing on like the everyday lives of the people working on this project. But it did not It did not hit that well. I did think the, the one good part of this was uh, John C. McGinley is in it. And uh, he had, like, one 
really great monologue where he's like yelling at someone about the consequences of the atomic bomb. And uh, that part was good because it's almost like movies are more interesting when the character feels something about what's happening. Uh, Everything else was just a complete waste of time. Not worth it. Uh, next up is a movie called Blaze, which is just one of the most embarrassing movies I have ever seen in my life. It's like a PG sex comedy about Paul Newman marrying this stripper and just being real excited about boobs. Uh, and it has just this really, truly embarrassing, condescending subplot about him being like a hero because he's a uh, white politician who is less racist than other politicians. And it's just like the most annoying, condescending liberal thing. Uh, And yeah, just everything about this movie was, was tough to watch. And we watched it uh, on New Year's Eve. So the, the first thing Katie and I experienced in 2018 was Paul Newman inexplicably whipping out a rifle in the middle of a strip club as part of like a zany comedy. Uh, I give Blaze a not worth it. So I honestly was kind of into this movie. Um, Definitely the like white savior stuff in the middle of this soft sex comedy was weird and I did not need it. But the, I, the the sex the sex comedy aspect of it I, I was I found pretty enjoyable Paul Newman was just like such a gross like lascivious cartoon character of an old man um, it was just pretty fun to watch um, and, and I'm gonna give it the, just the, the softest worth it it was truly pretty fun Paul Newman did whip out a gun for no reason in a strip club. So (laughs) happy 2018. Um, uh, Next up is a film called Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, which really felt like it was a biopic about real people. But then I looked at the Wikipedia and it was not. Um, This is a strange and I would say directionless film. Uh, Paul Newman and real life wife of Paul Newman reunite again what's her name i can't remember i i said it already yes joanne woodward (laughs) um uh they're playing a married couple and they have a couple of children one of them is uh robert sean leonard one of them is kira sedgwick and uh, it's just kind of about waspy rich people with some familial issues in the beginning of this movie it really feels like it is setting up a plot about Paul Newman and his daughter Kira Sedgwick either like currently being enmeshed in a sexual uh, like at least nominally consensual like sexual relationship with each other or like Paul Newman lusting after his daughter it really sets this tone that that's what this movie is about and then the daughter just fucks off to nowhere and is like gone from the movie and that is not what this movie is about and it feels like somebody started writing an incest movie panicked wrote the daughter character out and then just kept going and never went back and revised to take the beginning stuff out really weird i don't know why this movie happened and it is not worth it yeah this movie felt to me like uh i i got the feeling that like the book might have been so popular at the time that they sort of felt like they could just jump from one scene in the book to another and people would like understand 
what the story is, but it just ends up feeling like a bunch of unrelated scenes you're watching for some reason. Um, and like, I do have to give it credit for, I feel like the Paul Newman character really captures what waspy dads and husbands are like. Like I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that is right on the money. But also like, that's like not enjoyable to watch. So it was like, you know, unless they had some sort of, um, if they'd had like a cathartic plot about her, like divorcing him or something like that, then it probably would have been more enjoyable that they nailed it. But instead it just sort of, uh, uh, nothing came of that. Um, and yeah, I don't know if this says more about me and Katie, but we were really like, is this a movie about Paul Newman having sex with his daughter <laughs> for like half an hour? It's not, <laughs> but it really seemed like it at least to us that's all I have to say about that um yeah I'm also giving it a not worth it folks next up is a little thing called the Hudsucker Proxy it's one of the lesser no known films by the Coen brothers and also Sam Raimi for some reason I think it's crazy that those three wrote a movie together and we're not talking about that all the time um but yeah, uh, this was an incredibly fun movie, and I think part of it, uh, I think it was helped by the fact that we actually got to see it in theaters, because just coincidentally, while we were doing this, uh, the IFC Center did a screening of it, and I think uh, movies are always more enjoyable in theaters, and it's easier to pay, uh, to pay attention, so that might have helped it a lot, but I think uh, whether or not we had gotten the chance to see it in a the theater, I would definitely have loved it, because it's just so... It's so unique. It's like completely doing its own thing. And um, it has, it's, uh, it's really funny. It has so many hard jokes. And like, uh, I feel like whenever I see like an actual funny movie with a lot of jokes, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, most comedies are just like pleasant. I forgot. <laughs> uh, and I think the comedy is like way, way ahead of its time. It was like 93? Nine, early 90s right um yeah it was sometime in the early 90s and a lot of the jokes remind me of like arrested development and 30 rock they're just like so um weird and fun okay yeah 94 um and uh uh jennifer there's a lot of amazing performances in this movie but i thought the best part was definitely jennifer jason lee who's playing this like old-timey reporter character which i think like it's so hard to do that and not just be like a Simpsons character, but like she really makes this like old timey reporter just like totally feel like a real human being. Um, and yeah, just a, a great movie. The, the only thing that's weird about it is it has this magical black man character who's like not only unnecessary to the plot, but actually makes the plot more confusing. I think, uh, it's really weird. I think they should, um, just make a cut of it that just, clean gets him out of there because it's uncomfortable and makes no sense uh doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie which for the most part other than like most of it feels incredibly ahead of its time and then that one thing is like oh this feels like it's from the 1940s uh but overall i really enjoyed the hudsucker proxy and i am giving it my gold star for paul newman's filmography Hell yeah, baby! I, I love the Hudsucker Proxy. I've loved it since childhood. I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, and it's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. Um, 
I just want to add, like, I'm really generally not a fan of the Coen Brothers, actually. Uh, so uh, I was actually, like, really surprised. And I think this is, um, I think this is their only movie, in my opinion, that's, like, a funny movie. Like, I would say you should watch this for the jokes. Yeah, so I I knew that Lenny doesn't really like the Coen Brothers, and I, this movie's so near and dear to my heart that I was r- I was really like he's gonna hate it, and I'm gonna I'm just gotta set my expectations low for his reaction because he's not gonna like it, but he did. That's how good it is. Um, and yeah, I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I was afraid that it wasn't gonna hold up for me, but it did. It actually like is better now than last time I saw it. It's it is a great film so funny so charming to watch moves along at just like a beautiful pace just like not a dull moment there's there's seriously like a dull moment like in the third act when it's almost over there's there's like a five to ten minute stretch where I'm kind of like this could have moved along and then other than that like pace wise it's like perfect um the yes the magical black man character is the mar on this beautiful beautiful work of art and he's so his inclusion is so strange that like i i never noticed this before but the way that he interacts with the plot is so tacked on and the and like the i'm not going to spoil anything but there's only one moment in the film where he actually like actively intervenes in the action and if you took that out there would be there are other things happening in this film that would explain the thing he does so like he's he's completely tacked on and i do think he was like a studio note that was like people aren't gonna get it it's not clear enough like why these things are happening like add a character who talks to the camera and explains things um because yeah he's so he could be so easily removed and you wouldn't have to add anything to explain anything like everything would actually flow much better um so yeah other than that it's I would say, like, if it didn't have that, I would say it's, like, a perfect movie. And, yeah, I agree. Like, everybody in this movie is so, so great to watch. But um, Jennifer Jason Lee is so, like, addictive. Like, she has a v- she has the classic, like, now say old-timey reporter speak. But there's something about this her specific take on it that is just, like, I could listen to it forever. Because it's, like, she never drops that crazy cadence, but sometimes she's just kind of, throwing it away and she's giving a very long she's talking for a very long time but some of her things are just being thrown away but then she digs into one little statement but then the rest of it oh it's just kind of very casual and it's I'm not doing it justice you gotta watch this movie because it's so it's such a beautiful thing to watch and it's so funny and I am also giving it my gold star woo <laughs> alright uh, next up is a movie called Nobody's Fool which is a uh, kind of dramedy the comparison that kept popping into my head while I was watching it was Gilmore Girls because it is a dramedy in like a small town um and it's got it's got like a colorful cast of like towny characters um and I I really enjoyed it a lot um Paul Newman is in full force as old man Paul Newman. Oh, we didn't even talk about Paul Newman in the Hudsucker Proxy <laughs> at all. Okay, I guess we should. Um, yeah, Paul Newman's character in the Hudsucker Proxy is really fun. Uh, he's just like a cartoonishly evil corporate guy uh, who manipulates sweet little Tim Robbins, uh, which uh, I thought was super sexy. <laughs> but uh, even people who are less into old corporate douches who prey on naive young men than I am, whatever weirdos aren't into that, I think you'll still find it very comical. <laughs> yeah, Paul Newman is great. This That's kind of a character that you don't really get to see him play at any other point in his career, like a like a 
soulless corporate douche who you're supposed to hate. And he's great at it. He should have played that role more. And but I'm glad I'm glad he played it the one time. Very fun. Okay. So yes, uh, definitely uh, nobody's fool. I think is like Gilmore Girls, but for the men. <laughs> uh, and um, it's just it's very charming. Um, the main character is like a mess and a fuck up. The Paul Newman character is like a mess and a fuck up, um, but like you know, very charming. Um, and he has great chemistry with all the other characters in this town. Uh, even the characters that he has like somewhat hostile relationships to, it's like there's there's not really a feeling of like deep ill will in this movie at any point. It's like things that are contentious are still kind of contentious in a way that is fun and enjoyable to watch. Um, yeah, and I just uh, I really I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it has a lot of it has a lot of famous actors in it. I was not expecting that because I hadn't heard of it at all. But it has like Bruce Willis. It has, um, uh, was it Michelle Pfeiffer? Was she the hot young lady? Who's the hot girl that he has the chemistry with? Oh, I she, oh, she was totally somebody. Okay, well, it's got a lot of famous actors in it, even if that hot lady wasn't anybody. Um, uh, and yeah, it's just very charming, and I highly recommend it. Uh, worth it. Yeah, I also found this movie really charming. Uh, Paul Newman has like a lightheartedly adversarial relationship to Bruce Willis that's really fun and uh as I mentioned earlier uh people who write Paul Newman movies have a huge hard on for Paul Newman fucking their wives and this is one of the only movies where uh I was fully into it and could not wait for Paul Newman to fuck Bruce Willis's wife uh and there's um there's stuff with his relationship with his son that I thought was like really done well I feel like a lot of movies about family relationships like lean too heavily into just like, just forgive him. He's your father. And I thought like this had like a fairly even handed touch that I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I would definitely give this a very big worth it. Uh, next up is Twilight, which is a movie where Paul Newman is like a retired detective who gets back on the case and, uh, and it is just so tedious. It's one of those, uh, I feel like a lot of mystery films just sort of like take for granted that the audience will be interested. And as a result, they're just like, mm, you probably remember we laid the groundwork for this in that small conversation 15 minutes ago. And I'm like, fucking no, I you it's your responsibility to make your screenplay interesting i'm not gonna be like ooh, i'll remember that he looked at that photograph um yeah it's really boring and like every single time there was a reveal with the mystery i was like oh did we care about that i guess we must have um the most notable thing about this is that you see reese witherspoon's boobs and then right after that they reveal that the character was 15 like 17 uh so that was a weird move on the film's part <laughs> that's all i got yeah um truly like i don't need any of the paul newman like pi investigator secret agent like none of those movies work um i don't think there's anything inherent to him or to the idea of like a pi character <laughs> that doesn't work but he kept trying it never happened for me um yeah this movie's very uninteresting like i feel like it i feel like uh uh, that British one was the worst version of of Harper, and then this is like a worse <laughs> version of that British one. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no reason to watch this, um, so don't. <laughs> Not worth it. Um, 
Next up is Message in a Bottle, which is a rom drum, <laughs> uh, not a comedic film, uh, but it's a romance. Um, and I had heard of this movie, but I had never seen it, and I didn't really actually know anything about it. Uh, but the leading lady is Robin Wright, and she is looking real fine. She is gorgeous in this movie. Um, and it's, it's a kind of, uh, it's, it's got a kind of like sleepless in Seattle style, somewhat implausible events bring two people who would never have otherwise interacted together and then they just that they are soulmates. And I gotta say, going into this movie, I started out pretty charmed by it. Maybe partially because of the comparison to Sleepless in Seattle that occurred to me. Sleepless in Seattle is my all-time favorite film. Uh, and yet, this movie deteriorates into weird, sappy melodrama uh, in a way that Sleepless in Seattle does not. Um, so past like the 30 minute mark this kind of becomes trash and the only thing that for me really like keeps it going and like keeps me invested as it gets like sappier and sappier is crazy old man Paul Newman who is charming as hell uh he should have been the romantic lead not fucking who is it Ray Fiennes Kevin Costner American Ray Fiennes (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just uh, it starts out seeming like it might be a pretty fun romance story and then just leans harder and harder into melodrama and sappiness as it goes along and becomes, like, pretty irredeemable. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it a soft not worth it, but the, like, first act and the Paul Newman character together are charming, so, like... You know, do with that what you will. Maybe see it. There are reasons to see it, but I'll give it a mild not worth it. Uh, yeah, I did not care for this movie. Uh, I I mean, I guess I haven't seen The Notebook, but I mostly think that romantic dramas shouldn't really exist. Like, I don't want to watch a Nora Ephron movie without the jokes. Like, that's very thin. Um, uh, yeah, it just... Uh, there's just nothing really interesting here. Like so much of it is just like Robin Wright and Kevin Costner being together and sort of like acting like drama is happening, but it's like you all you have to do is like date each other. Like <laughs> just just do it. Just like have sex or like have conversations. Like it's pretty simple. Um uh yeah, I really truly just wanted this to be a rela- a movie about her fucking both him and his dad and it never was a uh, boring boring film not worth it uh next up is road to perdition uh which is a movie about a uh, little baby tyler hoechlin from teen wolf uh being the son of a uh like mafia hitman played by Tom Hanks. Was it the Irish mafia? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I thought that this would be more of like a emotional drama. And then it felt more like a like, pr- 
pretty standard like crime movie, but I thought it was a very well done crime movie. It had a lot of really uh, tense sequences. I thought uh, it was much better done than like The Departed. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend it. I thought uh, Jude Law was well cast for once as just a disgusting creepo. Uh, Paul Newman is fun as the the mafia head. Um, and uh, yeah, overall, it's just like a very solid, uh, very tense, organized crime movie. Yeah, I I enjoyed this, so that was a worth it. Yeah. I I enjoyed this movie. I didn't I didn't expect to because I don't really have a lot of patience for like crime movies that are less uh less like fun and popcorny than like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like if it's at this level of seriousness, I kind of expect to be bored. But it was, yeah, very tense and very interesting. And like, uh, most of the movie is like Tom Tom Hanks and his son on the run from the Irish mafia guys who have uh, turned against them. And so having like a very clear just goal of like protect protecting my son, getting my son to this location, I think m- maybe c- helped it have like a, a a drive to it that kept me invested. Um, but yeah, it's very there are really good like tense suspenseful sequences um and the acting is really great um and yeah it's very it was very enjoyable and (laughs) terrifying as he always is but this time it was right there on the surface uh dylan baker was also like a huge scene stealer and like he i think he just has like it's not one scene but it's like one sequence but it's like heavily about dylan baker for that part and he totally steals the show yeah, he was super fun. Uh, and Paul Paul Newman is like the head of this, uh, at least this segment of the Irish Mafia. He's like the head Don or whatever. I don't know. Um, and he's like, he's uh, he's enjoyable to watch, but it's, this isn't like a super standout Paul Newman performance, I think, because he just, uh, he he doesn't have like that much to do that, that that's that interesting. Um, but he's still very enjoyable. Um, yeah, so definitely give this movie a worth it. Next up is Empire Falls, which is a mini series of the type that I have the least respect for, where it's just two episodes. Uh, come on, just you're just a movie. Just edit some stuff out. You're a movie. <laughs> um, uh, and this is, I feel like this is sort of the funhouse mirror version of nobody's fool that's it's like the 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 nobody's fool that doesn't work and that isn't charming it's small town colorful cast of characters but it's like even the pleasant interactions feel like there's kind of a grossness to them kind of a an unearned like menace to them it just feels like even in the moments when it's trying to be charming it comes from a place of ill will and the tone is weird it starts off feeling like it's pretty much a comedy, uh, like a comedy with some dramatic elements, and then it devolves into a school shooting plot that is completely unearned and handled terribly. And there's like there's like a school shooting, a major character watches like people die in front of her, and then you're kind of supposed to you're supposed to follow that character's journey, but like not feel like she's that like you're kind of supposed to just like bounce back from that. Uh, and like the movie, the movie doesn't, or the the show doesn't want to grapple with the fallout of a school shooting as much as it should. So why even put that in there? Why did you do this? Why did any of this happen? Terrible. I hated it. Not worth it. 
yeah, this this uh, miniseries is so bad. Yeah, there's just like, yeah, it did. It also reminded me a lot of Nobody's Fool, but it was like, it was like, um, you know, when you're like free handwriting just to get stuff out and then you like take out all the insane stuff like it felt like it was all the insane stuff from the rough draft of nobody's fool because yeah there's like uh there's the school shooting thing there's like helen hunt is just like this monster mother who's just like an irredeemably terrible woman um in a way that just like doesn't fit with anything else um and there and there's all these jokes about how Helen Hunt used to be fat and like oh she's trying not to get fat again she used to be fat and it's just like so mean for no reason. <laughs> yeah, and there's this like weird tangent where the main character finds out that his mom used to fuck this guy played by Philip Seymour Hoffman and there's like a big reveal about who that guy actually was and there's a part where like he imagines himself but as a child talking to the ghost of Philip Seymour Hoffman um it's bananas uh I I truly (laughs) so not worth it uh next up is cars and uh you know we, you all probably know how you feel about cars at this point. Um, I'm giving it a not worth it because I feel like there's not any compelling reason for an adult to watch it. But I will say I do feel like Cars gets unfairly hated on for being a movie for children. Like, I just feel like there are some people who seem like genuinely mad that it didn't make them like reflect on mortality the way that Up did. And it's like, Come on, guys. Just let it be super fun for kids. Every other movie is for you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i going to give Cars a, like a, a mild worth it because it's it's enjoyable and it's a good it's a good kids movie, um, even though it's definitely like one of the lesser Pixar movies. And I, th- I think the reason it gets hated on is because it's the first Pixar movie that was kind of like not not like trying to transcend the form of like a children's animated movie and was just kind of doing a somewhat standard version of a children's animated movie but it's it's not a bad standard boilerplate kids movie it's just not you know trying to it's not trying to reinvent the genre um and (laughs) so i don't i don't love it but it's cute enough and fun enough that yeah it's worth it uh, oh, and so now we're bringing it home with the most iconic of all <laughs> of all Paul Newman films, uh, the short Nader and the Ghost Light, uh, which takes place in the Cars universe and is about uh, Nader, uh, everyone in, in Radiator Springs talking about this uh, uh, terrifying uh, supernatural beast that they have that they have legends about. Uh, it's like a go- uh, the ghost light um, and then Mater drives off and he gets spooked but thinking he's seeing the ghost light and it's really it's so short and it, and uh, it passes by so quickly and yet for its entire six minute run or whatever I was like wait this is such a simple premise and yet I feel like nothing is tracking like nothing is fitting upright like everything is like everything is like slightly off about this like it just feels weird uh, I don't know. I think maybe it was just thrown together really quickly because they needed like they needed to tack something onto a DVD or something. It's just it feels really off. And like, how hard can it really be to do like a five minute short about Mater being goofy that like does the job reasonably well? 
I guess fairly hard because they failed to do it. <laughs> Not worth it. Yeah, this is like, it like it doesn't truly have jokes. It doesn't truly have a like coherent plot. This is like one of those things that I used to be like, I don't understand why does this exist, and then like now that I have nephews, I'll like see my mom put this on and then go do some laundry and my nephews will be transfixed for six minutes. And I'm like, Oh, I guess that's why that exists. But, uh, that doesn't make it worth watching for anyone who sat through this podcast. I assume no eight year olds listened to all of our Paul Newman thoughts for this long. So I'm giving it a not worth it. Well, Lenny, it nearly killed us, but we did a Paul Newman. We did it. We're here. And I guess, my th- the th- the thought that I would like to share at this point is I nominated Paul Newman because he was my favorite actor, and now having watched all of his readily available films, I can say that he is not my favorite actor. <laughs> I still love him. I think he is a great actor, but I think that I had seen the best of his filmography when I decided he was my favorite actor, and then like kind of the stuff I hadn't seen yet was like largely stuff that I did not need to see. Um, but th- th- not to disrespect the man's memory, he I, he really started off as just kind of some handsome smirky guy who did the same handsome smirky thing in every movie. And then like late in his career, he blossomed into this wonderful like character filled and like very interesting actor. Um, so that's inspiring, I guess. Um, yeah, so I do love Paul Newman, but he has he has lost the title of Katie's favorite actor, but he still has the title of one of Katie's favorite actors. So it's it's not all bad. Um, yeah, I had literally only seen Cars before we did this, um, and yeah, I'm I have to say like a little surprised that Paul Newman is so acclaimed. I feel like. Uh, for most of his career, I feel like he was sort of like a Channing Tatum where it's like, sure, he gets the job done. But um, uh, uh, I think towards the end, like stuff like The Verdict, he like really uh, showed that he can have some depth. But I wish there was there was more of that era and more um, stuff where he really got to like have layers Um but yeah, he is definitely like a very pleasant, uh, very pleasant actor. <laughs> uh, Katie, should we end this with a little fuck Mary kill? Well, I suppose it would be disrespectful if we did not, since we've done it for every other actor. Okay, let me think. I'm definitely going to marry Hudsucker Proxy because he's rich. I'm gonna definitely fuck Slapshot. God, Slapshot was so fucking hot. And, uh, oh, Paul Newman has so played so, so many men who are worthy of being murdered. Uh, I, do you have one off the dome? Because I feel like I'm going to. The most murderable. Yeah. I feel like you got to either go the outrage because he's a rapist, <laughs> no matter how you slice it. Uh, he's the most explicitly a rapist. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if not the outrage, I would go, um. Uh, the his character from the Helen Morgan story because he's like a very abusive husband type. Okay, yeah, I'll go outrage. Do you remember how I- how involved in the atomic bomb his fat man and little boy character was? Probably wouldn't have changed anything, right? Cute. Uh, 
he was just like a general, right? Yeah, I think he was just like a general. Okay, so I'll kill uh, the outrage. Okay. I am going to fuck. Um, uh, shit, what's that movie called? Please hold. Absence of Malice. I'm going to fuck Absence of Malice. Because he's a nice old man with a boat. But he's also dangerous. And that's all I want. <laughs> Lenny's nodding because he's aware that that's, <laughs> that's, the <laughs> that's literally my only type. Uh, okay. So I'm going to fuck him good. I'm going to marry um, Butch Cassidy because he is my favorite man, my favorite person. A beautiful, a beautiful saint. A gorgeous soul in this hideous world. The world does not deserve beautiful Butch Cassidy. I don't care. If he's going to rob a bank. Then we're going to have to hide out in Peru. It'll be worth it. I will do it for him. Uh, and, <laughs> and I am also going to kill the outrage. Because even though the movie is about did he rape her or not, he did. <laughs> no matter who you believe he did. The, just the definition of rape at that time was was not up to snuff. Uh, yes. So there we have it. Uh, and I guess on that note, we'll see you next month when we're going to be talking about Reese Witherspoon. Lenny finally won a poll. <laughs> you guys, for those who haven't followed us on Twitter, I've followed Reese Wi- I've nominated Reese Witherspoon literally every single time we've done this, po- uh, done a poll. Uh, so I do feel, uh, I feel a little vindicated that after just the hell of doing Paul Newman movies. Finally, my girl won. <laughs> I'm very happy for Lenny because he definitely needed this one. <laughs> um, so follow us on Twitter if you want to vote in our next poll for our next episode after Reese Witherspoon. Uh, Lenny is at Lenny Burnham. I am at Katie L. Wright. Uh, and our show's Twitter is at... Filmos Pod, Filmos F I L M O S Pod P O D. Uh, yeah, so follow us if you want to have a say in our fates, and if you want to keep me from nominating any more uh, well-known actors with long, long, long filmographies that are interminable. Um, and and uh, check out all the other great programming on the Major Cast Network as well. Lenny just recorded an episode for the King Me podcast, which is all about the work of Stephen King, which I'm very excited to start listening to. I have not yet, but I'm sure it is great. And yeah, thank you for listening. I hope that our our journey of suffering and ultimately redemption uh, entertained you, beasts. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.